Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Rob Girard, the sports card therapist, we talked about a wide range of things. Basically, these were dueling same questions. He, he had some questions for me, and I said, uh, rather than me ask you different questions, I'm going to turn the tables on you for some of these questions. And the final questions was about how do you achieve uh, 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 balance in life? I guess that was the punchline. Thanks, sponsors, Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So here it is. You grew up collecting. You grew up opening packs. Before the Beckett price guides came out, how were people determining the value of these cards? It was a very small uh, hobby in those days. Basically, you didn't need to determine the value per se, way more trading than buying and selling. Actually, if you would offer money, not that it was gauche, but just to offer somebody money, it, it was the thrill of the hunt. When you found something, then they were all like trade nights that you would show up with your trade material and you say, here's what I got. If it was a certain set and you had cards in the same set or a similar set, similar scarcity, you'd trade one for one, two for one, three for one, whatever. So way more emphasis on trading. You didn't really buy cards from people as much. Sometimes you would, but more you'd buy the collection. They were getting out. I'm going to sell my stuff. And they just throw out a price. The early card shows were just as much about trading as they were buying and selling. Wow. But what I knew, because I had a PhD in statistics, the rarity, people were going more by, on economics, it's supply and demand. After studying it, you realize, hey, the supply on some of these cards is way low. Even trading mm. two for one, it, the, these are a hundred times scarcer. But the hobby's always been about demand of what people are asking for. If the supply's not there, it doesn't take much demand to run the price up. And that's what's happened lately. Wow. Great cards have just gone through the roof. I was listening to one of your episodes when you guys were talking about the content that was inside the Beckett, the covers and how relevant the cover was. Now, was that something that you always had the final decision on? Early on, when we were getting started, it was a big deal. But as we got going, we had a lot of people who were just going to get every uh, issue. But it, it was a big deal. And I could have made the decision, but uh, sometimes I had made the decision trying to spread it around the country. Even though somebody would be really hot if we'd done his teammate the, the month before. If you do Michael Jordan and you can't do then Scottie Pippen the next month necessarily, you got to pick not a bull, pick, pick Charles Barkley or something. I tried to spread it around, but generally we're trying to pick somebody that'll be hot and, and rotate it around. And young and old, not all prospects or extreme veterans. But that was a lot of fun. It was the coming together of, of our art department, our designers, and our editorial editors, as well as the price guide editors, so that the designers knew what looked nice. The editors knew what the articles in that issue were going to be. The price guide guys, we totally know who was hot in the hobby. If you're a collector, that got the tie-breaking vote. A terrible picture of a great player is better than a great picture of a terrible player. We didn't promote who was going to be on next month cover very much. You would be surprised. We had a lot of reorders. So I wish you'd have told me. If we tell them, then they'll overorder. So he said, no, just sell the ones you have. And then we'll send you some more. Now, Giants and Yankees, I'm in Connecticut. Those are my teams. I'm closer to New York City. I'm 45 minutes to the Yankee Stadium. Who are the teams that Dr. James Beckett roots? I grew up as a Pirate fan. I lived uh, in and around uh, Pittsburgh for a lot of my formative years. Lived in Chicago for a while when the White Sox uh, won in 59. But uh, lived in the Midwest, but mainly in the Pittsburgh area. And when I moved to Texas, 
So Pirates for baseball sentiment. And then football is pretty much Cowboys because I've been more than half my life in Dallas. And the Mavericks, I've had season tickets to the Mavericks for 31 years. Wow. A lot of Mavs games, yeah. And then the Dallas Stars, when they moved down, that was cool. I had season tickets there. We had season tickets to all of them uh, at, at one point. The Cowboys look great right now, but why do you think they have not been able to put together a winner in 25 years? What is going on with that organization? I think Jimmy Johnson was a really good coach. Mm. And I think that was a mistake to to let him go. I think he was a good evaluator of talent and they they had such a strong nucleus. They've had good players. They just haven't been able to put it all together. It's very competitively. A lot has to go in terms of injuries and all that. That's why Tom Brady to be on top at the end of the year seven times, I guess, that is astounding. But is it just him? It's not just him. It's not just Gronk. It's not just Belichick. It's not the Patriot way or something. It's perhaps all of the above. They had great defenses. Some of those. The Cowboys just have, they look this year like maybe they have a little bit more of a complete team and they've had some nagging injuries, but not the, the season ending kinds of things that really cost them last year and some of the other years. Mm. But I'm not such a passionate Cowboy fan that I I get so upset when they lose. I think it's nice when they win and I want them to win, but I'm just like in my price guide days, I want to be objective. Right now, objectively, they're playing good football and the Giants are not. But the Giants have had ridiculous injuries. Oh, yeah. Ridiculous. So you wouldn't expect them to do that well. And the fact they're still playing is good. And the fact that we were able to really catch lightning in a bottle in 2007 and 2011, honestly, as much as we're in New York, we're a big market team, we want to win. Those two Super Bowls have... I think kept us nice and happy still for a decade. I want to win tomorrow. Don't get me wrong, but man, I still really rest my hat on those. And exactly. and eighty six and ninety, unbelievable. If you look at the whole season, you're oh yeah, saying the Giants were the best team, but at the critical moment, Eli Manning has shown a few times now to where it's not a fluke. But during the year, he's not great, but he's a good quarterback. But he's exceptional in some of these moments. But it's very much a team game. Do you think Eli is a Hall of Famer? That's the problem. I think eventually he gets in. Maybe off his Monday night football quips and comments and things. <laughs> I think staying in the public eye is a plus. All those quarterbacks have good enough numbers. And he's got championships and longevity and a great family name. He's got a, a nephew that's coming up. He's got a good chance. And there's probably people speculating on picking up Eli. He's not nearly as expensive as his brother. Yeah, absolutely. What were your thoughts on the greatest 75 list that the NBA recently released? How tapped in are you to these things as they continue to happen in the sports world? Are you following them? They didn't consult me, Rob. (laughs) I didn't have a vote. I didn't have a vote for the top 50 either, which was 25 years ago. Wow. You can look. That's when they did the big uh, poster thing. So they're doing that. And basketball with smaller rosters and less history, it's easier to get your arms around. There's a lot of individual stats. So I could quibble with some of them. What do you think? If I did an episode of who's missing, who should be there that isn't, or who is there that shouldn't be? Because I saw a lot of those guys play. I started watching basketball in the late 50s. Yeah, absolutely. I think definite arguments you can make for a couple guys who weren't on it. Dwight Howard was just dominant for a decade. He won defensive player of the year multiple times. He was like an eight-time all-star in a 10-year period. This guy dominated the paint, and I think his personality might have... No might about it. Yeah. It's a political statement, but his performance on court, offense and defense, he had no moves and yet he was unstoppable. He's a great athlete, but he, he's quirky. So you love him or you don't. But my point is I have to do sports card insights and his cards 
don't sell like he's top 75. So that's the ratification of that. That's the way I would have to look at it. Is there somebody on that list that doesn't sell well or somebody that sells really well that's not on that list? So Dwight, he's available at not good prices. Yeah, likewise. And it's strange how some people just deem some players as being collectible and some not. I often wonder, like, how is an Aaron Rodgers more collectible? Russell Wilson, how isn't a guy like that more collectible? They're dominant, they're dynamic on the field, and it just seems their prices do not really reflect their performance. They don't because the collectors of those guys, a podcaster is going to talk about those things, but the serious collectors of those guys are just... Hush, just be delighted that you're buying Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson at prices that you think are ridiculously cheap for the quality of their play and their potential and their longevity and their potential. Those guys are Hall of Famers eventually. So the smart collectors are just keeping their mouth shut and buying. And if they get too aggressive, the price will start going up. If they're just quiet about it, they're just gradually buying cards. (laughs) <laughs> isn't that isn't that amazing the commentators and the youtubers that want to tell hey you need to buy this card it's way undervalued sometimes it's because they've already bought them mm. not always but sometimes just keep your mouth shut and buy them and if enough people do that the price goes up if you really want to collect aaron Rodgers and you think he's the best pure arm i think russell wilson is an amazing athlete that could play at least two sports he's not the prototype quarterback size or anything like that but he's an excellent athlete he clearly makes great decisions on his feet and has an accurate arm, but Rodgers has, I think, the best pure arm. Mm. And his aging, you know, Mahomes was Mahomes getting disrespected now. Oh, he is. I know. And and you but know, they what? just click it and it goes fifty yards. On a I know. Yeah, absolutely. We were talking about the whole idea of self care and and really what we do to try to stay grounded. What is it that Dr. James Beckett does? What do you do in your off time? Aside from pump out all these podcasts and, and you're tired and, and you have all these gorgeous cards to look at. I mean, what do you do outside of that? Basically, uh, when I sold the company, I had enough money and I had uh, more time than I had before. Actually, if you don't have a lot of time, it doesn't matter how much money you have because you can't have time to spend it. But I think what I've done that's really helped me is that I have a good balance now between alone time and fun time and serving time. That I have another balance is between by myself or just with my wife or just family or with friends or with, I won't say strangers, but people I don't know as well. I have people that are very similarly situated to me. I have some men's groups I'm, I'm in, so I'm well supported for the ups and downs of life. Sometimes it's good to talk to somebody that knows exactly how you feel. Not exactly, but they're in similar moccasins. And then sometimes it's good to have somebody that just listens and doesn't quite understand, but it's just a sympathetic ear. It's like the different types of counseling. There's more directive types. I do a lot of pro bono consulting. So I'm basically doing Zoom calls with uh, individuals or organizations that are stuck. I'm a problem solver. I'm not a licensed counselor, so I can just dish out counseling advice at the same rate that I dish out legal advice and accounting <laughs> advice and medical advice. But I do a PhD in statistics. I used to run a company and I've, and I've got a lot of smart friends too. And I read a lot of books. So the balance, I think, is the main thing. I think when I look back at the periods where they were difficult, I didn't have a lot of balance. That balance was between time and money and between how you spend your time vis-a-vis other people. If you don't have a, any serving, I always had a serving aspect in my life. I've always felt it was important to give back, but I just had too much on my plate. I went a perfectionist, but I was a high standards guy. I wasn't OCD, but I was C. (laughs) Most (laughs) successful executives have some compulsivity. If they say they're going to do it, they're going to do it. If they don't say what they mean and do what they say, they're they're not going to be successful. I have some counseling friends that I know 
more socially than professionally, but people get in trouble if they don't have anybody to talk to. I want to be a sympathetic ear for my friends and friends of my friends. And that's been great. I never run out of clients because I don't charge them, but I don't have to declare that I have only this kind of expertise. I'm going to be a listening ear and I'm going to make a suggestion that's not prescriptive, but hey, how about this? Have you thought about this? Because most people get frustrated because they say they've tried everything they know to try. And I say, have you tried this? And they say, no. (laughs) So then you haven't tried everything. If you tried everything, then you can give up. (laughs) But don't give up. You're banging your head. You maybe have the wrong tool. You're trying to drive this screw with a hammer instead of a screwdriver. Get the proper tool or get the, the great right teammates. I just was very blessed with great teammates. So life is a teammate sport. If you're just going it alone, you get picked off. I go to shows every once in a while. They're therapeutic. I don't see it as a job. I see it as fun. I've got a blend of looking at the cards, buying a few. And seeing old friends and new friends, great. So what do you do? You're the pro. Your hobby ought to be a respite from the anxieties. Most of your clients, they're either in prison or they're anxious. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and listen, and people are, they're worried about stuff. You nailed it because whenever I talk about wellness and self-care, for me, it has to be about balance. And you hit it right on the head. I'll be facilitating groups and I'll draw a pizza pie on the board and I'll put it up in slices. And I use an analogy of a salad. Even though I'm drawing a pizza, I want you to think of a salad. If I had just one salad with a lettuce, that would be a pretty bland salad. I need cucumbers, some salad dressing, croutons, tomatoes, maybe some meat, some bacon, some cheese, a lot of ingredients to make a really good salad, whether that's work, friends, family, hobby. I need some sort of spirituality. Depending on the day, the slices of the pies might shrink and go up. Sometimes work requires more than hobby. Sometimes my family requires more than my friends. But as long as I have a nice balance going on with a lot of different moving parts, for me, that's what I need because I can be an all or nothing person as well. I can jump right into something and completely ignore other aspects of my life. I need to remember on a daily basis not to do that. The food analogy, I'm a foodie too. Usually they don't say make the salad bigger. They say, make the pie bigger. I think my first (laughs) half of my life, I was trying to make the pie bigger because all the ingredients didn't fit on the pie. (laughs) A hobby ought to be a great place to let off steam and to enjoy another set of friends. You're going to the card show. You're not thinking about your problems at the office or maybe even your problems at home. You you get a break and there's some uh, therapeutic benefit to that. I I agree. The man in the 